Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, I'm Shri Vaglani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to welcome Justin Welsh, who will share with us his remarkable story of building a one-person business after burning out of a very successful career as an angel investor and startup executive. A massive panic attack several years ago prompted a reevaluation of what kind of life Justin wanted, which led him to launch his own online information business that leverages LinkedIn, Twitter, and other platforms to help creators build their own knowledge businesses on the internet. In just a few years, Justin has grown a following of over 750,000 people and has the number one rated LinkedIn course with over 10,000 students. So Justin, it's a, as, a, as a fan of your work, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Shiv, thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Of course. And so uh, one thing that also attracted me to you is you uh, began your career in healthcare. You uh, have worked with some really well-known players such as GlaxoSmithKline and ZocDoc. Can you tell us in your own words about what attracted you to those kind of companies and healthcare in general? Yeah, initially it was just sort of what I knew. Um, when I grew up, my dad started working in pharmaceutical sales in 1970, and I graduated college in 03. So he would have had a 33-year career at that time, um, and he worked for one company. He worked for Burl's Welcome, which became Glaxo Welcome, which became GlaxoSmithKline. And so I got into pharmaceutical sales because I looked at my parents. My parents are from, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, in a suburb of Cleveland. And like, we had a nice house and we had a, a, two cars. And I was like, oh, like, this is, this is the thing to do, right? Just follow my dad's footsteps. So uh, that's how I got into it. Um, <laughs> we can talk more about whether I was any good at it. Uh, that's a very different story. Um, but I, I was in three parts of healthcare. I was in pharmaceutical sales. I was in medical device sales. And the last part of my career was healthcare technology, which I really enjoyed the most. Yeah, so let's talk about that because I mean, Zocdoc and Patient Pop are well known, and you you were an executive there doing sales. Um, so what? Uh, yeah, tell us about those companies, and also, you know, a lot of why we launched the Raiseline podcast is to prepare our audience for where where the puck will be, as Wayne Gretzky said. What's happening in healthcare, digital health, remote patient monitoring, etc. So yeah, can, let's delve into some of the highlights at Zocdoc and Patient Pop. Yeah. So um, I went about six years in pharma and med device, and I was very bad at it. Um, I probably could have been good at it because um, I'm generally a pretty good learner. I was just super immature. I wasn't ready for the workforce. I cared more about working out and having fun and, and meeting people and, and things like that. I got a chance at ZocDoc, which was really interesting. Like I created a resume, which was probably quite blown out of proportion, maybe might be a good way to describe it, uh, my accomplishments. And I had been fired three times from three pharma and med device companies. And ZocDoc was this cool and interesting business. It was only nine people big in 2009. And so uh, I took a bus from Allentown, Pennsylvania to New York City to interview for the job. And I was really well prepared because I wanted the job. Um, I was ready to talk through my accomplishments, for lack of a better description. And uh, I got the job. And something really interesting happened in that role, which was very different from the previous roles that I had been a part of. Um, number one, I was in New York City. So like I had been in Allentown, Steubenville, Ohio, Toledo, Ohio, uh, some other place, uh, Shankler Shores, Michigan. I had been in all these small towns and suddenly I was in New York City. It's like this energy, all the people moving around. It's working for a tech company, like a cool company that solved a problem that I understood. The people were super smart. 
Um, and my own maturity was like increasing. I, I had hit 28 years old and I, I wasn't mature by any means, but I was certainly more mature than I was when I was 23 or 24. And so like all these things came together at the exact same time. And I went out my first day and I made a sale with my boss. It was like, I'd never gotten a credit card for anything before in my life. I had never closed a deal in my whole entire career. I, Cause I was an influencer in pharmaceuticals, influencing physicians. Right. And that just like, for some reason that flipped a light switch. And I was like, I like this and I want to live in the city and I want to be successful. And I want to do all these things that I hadn't done before. And uh, I spent five years there. I broke a bunch of sales records. I managed local teams. I ended up managing six states on the West Coast. And then I, I ended my career at ZocDoc reporting directly to Cyrus, the CEO, building ancillary business units. And I parlayed that experience into my first executive job at 33 uh, at a company called Patient Pop and spent five years there growing that business from its first dollar in revenue up past 50 million in recurring. And that was a, a wild ride. Definitely incredible. Uh, really, really amazing work at both those companies. Um, obviously, a lot of our audience have used or at least have heard of these companies as well or will be using them. Um, so let's fast forward to uh, kind of the burnout, right? So one one of the things we keep covering on this podcast is provider burnout, right? Uh, people, it's one thing to train clinicians or people to go into the healthcare workforce. It's another thing to keep them there. And the way health systems have treated a lot of these clinicians or the health uh, you know, system in general, not not any particular health system, the system itself has led to a lot of them leading the works, workforce. Just last week, I was talking to a surgeon in Boston who's looking for a career change. Uh, and I was thinking your, you appearing in this podcast would be very interesting to many of our audience who are looking to maybe go part-time or, or even just become solopreneurs. Um, so tell us about the burnout, the panic attack, and how that changed your trajectory. Yeah. So you know, I did five years at ZocDoc and they had a stigma in New York city for being a really hard place to work. So like, you know, I loved it there, but the reality of it was that like you get hired in with classes of 30 people and two weeks later, you'd look around and 28 would be gone and you'd be like, Oh wow, this is like really cutthroat. And so it was hard. It was stressful. Like it was high performance. I loved it because I was a high performer and I thrived on that environment, but of course it was stress filled. Right. So five years, super stress filled. And when I became an executive at Patient Pop, my expectation was that I was the VP of sales. My expectation was that I would get that business to a million or $2 million in recurring revenue. To me, that was huge, right? That would be like the biggest thing in the world for me. And then they would bring in someone with gray hair, 30 years experience, right? And just say, hey, this guy's going to take it from here. And I would be maybe demoted to a, a lesser role. That did not happen. Uh, we got to 3 million in year one, we got to like 12 million in year two, 30 million in year three, 50 million in year four. And it just started growing really fast. And I went from stretch executive hire guy who was supposed to get it to two or 3 million to person managing 150 person team, six direct reports, $50 million in recurring revenue, multiple board meetings, tons of stress and pressure, average job cycle of 17 months. It's the average job length of a VP of sales. And I was going on four and a half years. The burnout happened not because of overwork. I think that's an, an incorrect stigma around burnout. I can work all day long. Um, I, I like to work hard. I, I like working. Burnout to me is about losing control. It's about being unable to solve problems and problems beginning to stack up and with no end in sight. And that's what happened to me. Um, I am not af afraid or embarrassed to admit that as the business got super huge, I didn't know what to do. I wasn't the right guy. Like I, I like early stage, give me zero to 20 million or zero to 10 million. I love that stuff. But when it's like 
150 to 200 million. It's not your guy. So I started to get lack of control. And when you have no control at work, uh, that often spirals into other areas of your life. And so things that probably a lot of people can resonate with started happening to me, which were uh, over drinking, overeating, lack of exercise, not enough sleep. Uh, and all of a sudden I opened my eyes one day, give you a sense I'm about 200 pounds. Uh, I was 235 pounds. Uh, I was drinking a bottle of wine every night, sometimes more. Uh, I was eating really poorly. Uh, I wasn't exercising. I was sleeping six hours. And on December 16th of 2018, everything just sort of came together and I had this massive panic attack. And I think people have had panic attacks before and can probably know what that's like, but I was hallucinating. I was screaming, screamed for two hours. And my wife had to call the, the 911. All the EMTs came, hooked up all the wires, told me I wasn't dying and like finally calmed down. Um, that was pretty intense. <laughs> so it was a pretty good indicator that something needed to change. Yeah, my God. Um, must have been so harrowing, especially because, you know, so many of the people who listen to this podcast too are, are like you, high achievers. They can work all day. I think when they lose autonomy or mastery or these other indicators of satis job satisfaction or just satisfaction in life, um, that can happen. So you're one of the most well-known creators on LinkedIn and Twitter and the internet in general. Can you tell us a bit about your Saturday solopreneur and business? Yeah, I, I think the easiest way to define what it is that I do, and I struggle with it, it's always a, a fun uh, party conversation, is I'm a knowledge entrepreneur. So I don't code. Uh, I don't build SaaS platforms. Um, I use the knowledge that I have to build knowledge businesses. So my core focus is helping people build one person internet businesses using the knowledge they have between their ears. So if you know how to be a product manager or you know how to do SEO or you know how to build landing pages or you know how to grow on social media or you know how to set up a, an effective healthcare practice, that knowledge is worth money to somebody who doesn't know it. And so I have spent the last four and a half years equipping people with the opportunity to identify the knowledge they have, share the knowledge they have, and monetize the knowledge they have. That's what I do at my business. So you've grown quite a following, right? Because I think your message resonates with a lot of people, not just in the tech sector, especially now with all the layoffs, but also, you know, I think in healthcare and in any other sector where people are just people, they want to be happy. They want to have a good balance uh, as it seems like they're walking a ton, like like you, uh, I know that's something you, you, do, you talk about a lot in your content. Tell us about the journey for like, going from zero to 750,000 followers and where you see it going. Um, you know, if you, in your wildest dreams, you mentioned when you joined patient pop, 2 million, you'd be happy. And then you grew to 50 million. Uh, I'm curious, like, what's that for the next five years for you? Like, are you happy with 1.5? But you know, people listening to this will be like, I saw Justin on this podcast five years from now. It's like, you have a, you know, half a, half a billion followers or something like that. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a good question. I don't have an end goal in mind. Um, I think more about process than outcomes. So once you reach a certain number of followers on social media, I, I would assume this rings true across all platforms. I don't know because I'm not on all these different platforms. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. But once you reach 
50,000 or 75,000, the next milestone is just time bound. It's just a matter of time until you hit it, right? You just continue to do what you've been doing for the, the period of time. It just grows incrementally over time. So like to go out and say, I'm going to reach 1.5 million isn't a goal because it's just bound to happen, knock on wood, right? If, if everything keeps going in the same direction, what's more important to me are, are three things. The, the first thing is um, how I get there. So how I spend my calendar weeks, how I, the time I have with family and friends, the reduction of unwanted obligations on my calendar is a really big thing for me. I don't want to do things I don't like doing. I'm just not in the position right now where I feel like that's a good spend of my time. I like spending time with my wife. I like spending time with my parents while, while they're alive, right? I like spending time with my friends while they're, while they're close by. Those are the things that mostly drive me. And so I kind of focus on that first. The gaps is where work comes in. And so the next thing that I want to do is use those gaps to impact as many people as possible. I'm of the belief that if I impact as many people as possible on social media to help them grow a side hustle or to grow their first online business or to leave their nine to five or to simply build a better life, that that in turn will lead me to the outcomes that most people look for, growth and, and all that stuff. And the last thing is, I'd like to make an income, right? I'm not, I say this a lot on podcasts, but like, I'm not Mother Teresa. I, I, I want to make money. I want to have a thriving business. But to me, that is also an outcome of doing the second thing well, helping people achieve their goals. So I don't think about, do I want to be at one and a half million followers or 5 million followers or even a revenue number? It's just like plodding along, try and make your weeks as great as possible. Try and fill the gaps with things that, things that impact people and the outcome should be more followers and more revenue. If it's not, well, then I'll have to figure something else out. But I'm also like four and a half years in, and I say this often, but I have a shelf life of about five years at everything I've ever done in my whole life. And so who knows? Like I might I might run a hotel a year from now. I have no idea, right? So it'll be fun to see. Yeah, that will be really fun to see in six months what, what you do with it. Um, so I, I like that you focus on process. I mean, we've talked, you know, we've had people like BJ Fogg on this podcast. He wrote the book, Tiny Habits. Um, uh, we've also had, talked to James Clear, obviously Atomic Habits, very popular. Um, and he talks about, you know, outcome goals, ed, uh, process, uh, there's an outcome, which we talked about. Don't pay attention to that. It's very Buddhist, very Hindu actually too. Um, there's the process, which we just talked about. There's your identity, which you've carved out as a solopreneur, like that's your current identity. Obviously, we can have multiple identities in lives. And then there's the best way to create that identity is also to surround yourself with other people who help reinforce that. So for example, if you want to be a great cyclist, make a bunch of friends who are cyclists. If you want to be really fit, make a bunch of friends who are fit. One of the cool things seeing you on LinkedIn and Twitter is you do engage a lot with this like tribe of people like Sahil Bloom, uh, Dan Coe, um, um, uh, Dickie Bush, and a number of others, Matt Walsh. Uh, or Matt Gray. Um, I'm curious, is that a, just an online kind of identity, like tribe? Or do you guys ever get together and like, you know, work together on different things? And, and, and why stay solo when maybe you could do something together or like figure things out in other ways? So because um, I mean, you've, you've gone the VC, you've gone the VC route before, you know what it is to run a big company and have six tech reports and 150, uh, 150 people yeah. under them. It's a good question. Um so I think the easiest way to, to describe it is my my longest like internet friend is probably Austin Belsack. And so you might see me interact with him a lot on LinkedIn and, and on Twitter. And Austin and I met in 2018 online when 
I was just writing on LinkedIn and he reached out to me and he had like a few hundred thousand followers. I had like 20 grand and he was like, Hey man, I see you're writing. Here's a book that I read that was really helpful. And he's like, here's a PDF copy of it. And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. Thanks, man. How are you? Good to know you. And as I grew and he grew, we shared some tips and we're like, Hey, this actually works really well for me. He's like, Oh, this works really well for me. And, um, he found out that I was a craft beer fan. And so we started doing like a, an IPA exchange and I was living in, uh, LA when it started. And then I was living in Nashville as it continued and he was living in New York. So he would send me beers from New York and I would send him beers from LA and then Nashville. And so like we built this cool friendship and that's been going on four and a half years. I've never met him. I am going to meet him for the first time uh, in two weeks when I go down to the city for a LASIK consultation. I live uh, north of New York City. And so we're going to have lunch. Still never met him. Um, the rest of those guys, Sahil Bloom, Dickie Bush, Nicholas Cole, um, have been met in some really interesting ways. I met Cole, Nicholas Cole, because as I was consulting for healthcare companies back in 2019, I didn't want to write my own blog post to generate leads. And Cole was running a, a like a blog writing agency. And I was like, oh, maybe I can outsource this stuff because I don't feel like writing about healthcare. And I got in contact with him and that like started a relationship. And then it circled back around when he and Dickie started Ship 30 for 30. I had met Dickie because I was on a podcast with him. Um, so that started there. And then like Sahil Bloom had reached out to me on Twitter and said like, hey man, you're doing really cool things on LinkedIn. I'm interested in learning more. And I said, I'm interested in learning more about Twitter. So we jumped on a Zoom call and like all of these things are really organic. It's not like... Um, you know, someone threw us all together, which is, I think, uh, a lot of times how people think about it. Uh, I am working really hard to meet Dan Go, Jay Klaus, and a couple of other really cool creators in person through like a little creator group that we're trying to form and do some, some you know, interesting learnings as solopreneurs, uh, and we want to run some in-person events. I think why we don't do anything together is my guess is that we all have thriving businesses. Um, we're probably all staying away from managing and uh, running a big sort of conglomerate for, for lack of a better term. And we all like our autonomy. So I think that's probably why like in five years, could me and Dan go have a business? Sure. Uh, hasn't happened. And uh, I guess that's the best answer I have. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And I, that's exactly what I was thinking because it's what it's that parable, right? That Mexican fisherman that, you know, this business school person comes and says, Hey, you're, you know, you could buy you, you know, if you fish a little more, you can get more boats, you can hire more people, you can fish more. You, and then ultimately your kind of your dream life is the life you already have, which is you work a couple hours a day and spend the rest of the time with your family and you're healthy and you're happy and you're reading and doing all these other things. Um, another person I think who's influenced you and me, um, and a lot of us is Naval Ravikant, right? His book, The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. And he talks uh, interestingly about um, the four forms of leverage. He talks about, you know, labor. We've all done that. You've had 150 reports, run a company to 100 people and sold it. Now part of a 9,000 person company. So labor, uh, capital, right? Run a hedge fund, run a VC. You have capital that you can then use to get leverage. Uh, code, right? Some software, SaaS business like Boomerang or something online and you're able to generate a lot of, of uh, impact and revenue that way. And then content, right? So obviously you're in the content category. You've, pro you've been in the other categories, but content. Um, this seems like an existential moment for content because as of right late November last year, uh, ChatGPT came out and 
you know, we're just seeing the early stages of that from dial-up to like what we have now with Starlink, that kind of evolution, which may even happen faster. As like a leading content producer who has that leverage from your content, what are your thoughts on generative AI, ChatGPT, and those kind of tools and how it'll impact what you guys do in the next, say, year or two years? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think that for me, the way that I think about artificial intelligence is knowledge and information becomes commoditized, but wisdom becomes that much more valuable. So um, I have built a multi-million dollar one-person business and I've run $50 million annual recurring revenue business. I wasn't the CEO, but I was eventually the chief revenue officer. So I've run big units and big teams. Um, ChatGPT could spit out how to best do that. Uh, but if it comes from somebody uh, who doesn't have that experience, people will see through that. Maybe some people won't, right? There'll be grifters till the day that I die. Um, but I think that chat and GPT will help people who have wisdom distill it more cleanly, more efficiently, more effectively. Uh, I know that I've used it. Uh, I use it in multiple different ways. I use it to organize my information. I use it to summarize things that I, I want to summarize. I use it to remember things. I, I, there are so many different ways that I use chat GPT. Um, but I don't think it fills a wisdom gap. That, that's that's my thought on it. Now, I might be proven wrong. Maybe, you know, the next evolution of that will come up and suddenly people will become wiser by using it. But I just, I just don't see that happening. So I think the gap for like large creators who have very specific wisdom, I think chat GPT will, will accelerate that. I think for people that don't have wisdom, they will use chat GPT to try and fill that gap and ultimately find that wisdom cannot be filled by that. And so I think they'll waste a lot of time trying to do pretend work. And sure, they'll they'll get some people in their circle and other folks will follow them. But the true sort of wisdom, I, I think, is out of reach, uh, at least in today's current AI landscape. That, that's my feeling. I think that's, yeah, super nuanced answer. And I would agree with a lot of that where ultimately, you know, it's just how, how data evolves. Like, you know, you want to be more predictive and then now it's generative, but in the wrong hands and hands that think it's like a shortcut, like cheating, you know, writing a final exam essay or, uh, you know, a job interview question. Ultimately, people will eventually see through that. And so, you know, build, focusing on having substance over style makes a lot of sense here. Uh, we're coming up in time. So I did have uh, just two more questions for you. The first is... Um, what advice would you give to our audience? Again, many of them are healthcare workers or will be healthcare workers, but others are digital health entrepreneurs. They're, you know, in other, other fields kind of adjacent to healthcare mostly. What advice would you give them about approaching their careers? Yeah, I mean, approaching their careers is, it could be so much advice, but I'll give them advice that comes from a place of where I currently play today, which is burnout is happening to so many people. And the pandemic, I think, accelerated uh, the opportunity for burnout because we were isolated. I think a lot of our mental health was impacted way more than we even realize. And so I think a lot of people are teetering on the edge right now, kind of back where I was on December 16th of 2018. And so what I might recommend is that if they're feeling as though they're either undervalued at work, they're overworked, they're losing control. Um, the first thing that I might do is find out how they can dip their toe in the water of something that they truly enjoy on the internet. And I know that sounds cliche. Oh, do something that you enjoy. You'll never work a day in your life. It's completely not true. You'll work very hard, but you'll at least enjoy it. There's a difference. And I would say, 
go out and find that small tribe on the internet. So we talked about it. I'm friends with Dickie and Cole and Sahil and Austin and all these guys. Like, go find that tribe. That tribe of people who are related or, or are relevant to whatever you do, cardiology, digital health entrepreneur, there are people on the internet in that tribe who are trying to find their passion, trying to monetize their passion, trying to impact people, try to use online to build a business. Go find those people. Spend a little bit of time networking on the internet. I have found that by networking effectively, I have been able to learn and accelerate that learning curve so fast to grow my business much more effectively. So like do 1% more on the internet than you're doing today, right? Start by networking, then, then next up is research. And then the, fo the following thing is like action. Take some action, write something, share your thoughts, work on yourself, document, share with others. That would be a big piece of advice that I would have for anyone who wants to start untethering themselves from the lifestyle that they currently have. That's great advice. And I think, you know, you, you make it so bite-sized and approachable. I think uh, some of your tweets and, and posts are about on your Saturday solopreneur is like the next 20 minutes, you know, can you make $5 on the internet or next 24 hours? Like do it. Don't, 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 don't spend time researching your MBA program and applying to your MBA program. You can still do that at an MBA, but like, you know, just take action and learn and iterate from that action. And I think a lot of our listeners, some of them are, you know, in school right now are creating side hustles, are putting their knowledge online and, and, you know, hopefully they grow big enough that, you know, they have the optionality of whether they decide to trade their time for money or they can decide or, or they're trading their time for money, but they're doing it with something they enjoy. Um, so that's great advice. What else would you like to leave our audience with before we let you go for the day? I think the, the last thing that I, I might leave people with is, as you mentioned, there's a lot of artificial intelligence coming into the fold. There's chat GPT. There are things like giant pods on the internet that you can get into to accelerate your sort of growth or engagement. Um, try not to look for ways to cut the line, right? Cutting the line means that you, you sort of push aside the real learning that you get when you do the research, figure things out on your own, do things the effective way, all of the things like the hard work, the research, the mistakes, the analysis, the iteration, that doesn't just help in the beginning of your journey. That helps through the continuation of your journey. And so if you start shortcutting everything, using artificial intelligence, joining pods, trying all these different things that shortcut the journey, that will become a habit. And so I'd highly recommend that you don't make line cutting something habitual. Instead, what I'd recommend is do the work, make the mistakes, analyze the mistakes, iterate, repeat. Do that early on and you will train yourself to do that throughout the, continu uh, the continuum of your career on the internet. And as you get better and bigger and faster, sure, lean on some tools, right? Lean on some friends, do whatever it is that you need to do to continue that path, but train yourself in the beginning. That would just be a piece of advice that I might give anybody who's getting started as a creator on the internet. That's awesome. Well, it's really a lot of wisdom, as we mentioned, not just uh, something we 
Justin was actually on this call. This was in chat GPT and an avatar talking to us. So uh, I appreciate all your advice here, Justin, in general, uh, everything you've put out over the last four and a half years on the internet. It's really valuable. And I recommend our audience go check it out. Shiva, I really appreciate it. Great interview, man. And uh, thanks for having me. Thank you. And with that, I'm Shiv Gulani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise line and strengthen our healthcare system. We're all in this together. Take care. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. Thank you.